This podcast captures the making of Veritable Michael, a new opera by Tom Floyd and Sophie Goldrick. In May 1884, London awoke to the news of an exciting new playwright and poet bursting onto the scene to rave reviews. Michael Field not only won the praise of the papers, but also piqued the interest of literary giants Robert Browning and Oscar Wilde. But Michael was hiding a secret. Veritable Michael tells the true story of Catherine Bradley and Edith Cooper, two poets who lived, loved and wrote under the pen name Michael Field and their struggle with Victorian patriarchy. Welcome back. So in episode one, we began exploring the first scene of our opera. So it's set at the Opera Comique, which is a small London theatre near the Strand. And that's where Michael Field's first stage play was about to open. And Catherine and Edith were super excited. Then we dialed it right back to the very start of the story, the early part of their lives, and looked at how Catherine and Edith's bond developed from a family relationship into a romantic one and then talked about how that's a bit of a challenge for us to accept over here in the 21st century. So that brings us right now to the next chapter, The Birth of Michael Field. So having pledged themselves to one another and having formed this artistic union, Edith and Catherine set to work choosing a medium for Michael to work through. They settle on the verse drama, which is basically a play written in verse that you don't intend to stage, i.e. you read it at your mate's house after a few drinks. I think Catherine and Edith especially liked them because they gave a really big canvas for their imagination. They could use wild settings and big cast sizes that a stage play couldn't possibly accommodate. Someone else keen on the old verse dramas was the big man himself, Richard Wagner, who used this form for some of his large-scale operas, including The Ring and Tristan and Isolde. Difference here is that he was actually able to stage these massive-scale works. Something, something, well-connected white guy, something, something. Michael Field saw Tristan, and their diaries tell us how taken they were with it, to the extent they wrote their own play on the same subject. Although they lacked the means and opportunity to stage their verse dramas, Michael Field lived and wrote on an operatic scale. Here's Dr. Sarah Parker. Um, And I mean, my initial thoughts are, I think that obviously there's so many interesting things going on and have been for a long time to do with Michael Field. There's there's many people who have found them inspiring, you know, not not just... um, academics I suppose there's other kind of responses to them but I think this is one of the only responses that they would actually have appreciated um as I'm sure you know Sophie how difficult they were to please um I think I, I'm sure my own interpretations they would absolutely loathe I've, I've you know I have no doubt about that but I think being turned into art and being treated with such respect and and adoration um, and the kind of, I suppose, <laughs> please don't be insulted, but like the overblown nature of, of opera and the sound of it and the, the performance. I just think all of that just captures that kind of campy extravagance that, that is Michael Field. 
They wrote over 60 plays in their lifetime, starting in June 1884 with the first pair, Fair Rosamond and Caliroe. So we want to explore one of these plays in the opera, probably Caliroe. However, Tom has not quite settled on which bit he wants to set. So while we wait for him to do that, we're going to hear an excerpt from the play. Uh, but to set it up for you, it's an ancient Greek setting. Caliroe is a maenad, a servant of Dionysus, which is a favourite subject for Michael Field. Um, but the play has a few different modes. It's got a declamatory Shakespearean style. Then there's a kind of comedy patter scene between three old witches. And then this third layer, which is sort of a uh, discussion between the spiritual and the scientific, a Victorian doctor character and a ethereal fawn having this sort of relationship. This playing with past and present is a common theme in Michael Field's work. Their verse dramas are set in crucial historical moments, but sometimes feature characters that belong to another era. They are deliberately full of anachronism. This was pointed out to me by the very brilliant Dr. Anna Parejo Vadillo. The majority of the plays, if not all the plays, are based on historical moments in which something is about to happen that will change history forever, right? There's, there's, there's that... Uh, that, that's what all the dramas, I think, are about. And, um, I was, I was reminding myself, uh, of Caliro and I was reading the preface. Um, and, and I read the very first sentence before the bar of time, this poem pleads guilty to anachronism. And, you know, you could not find a better starting sentence for the life and writings of Michael Field than that. This excerpt you're about to hear is in the more declamatory style. In this speech, Kaliraue has been saved from death by someone whose love she previously spurned. In this moment, she questions everything she thought she knew about duty and she is changed forever. It's stirring stuff. Let's have a listen. Alone at last. Deep in the shady hills, the dark heights I have yearned for. Far below, a pyre is burning. Leap, ye glowing flames, leap up to me. Caresus, it avails nothing to heap thee with my proffered love. Do we lay food and wine about the dead when the stiff lips are barred to make amends for past refusal to the trembling mouth? Had I done evil deeds, I might atone. The gods are gracious and make clean from guilt. But simply to have lived my summer through and borne no roses, nothing compensates for Earth, for failure when seasons passed. Ah, oh, me, oh, me. And he besought my love as wildly, passionately as the dead beseech their burial. My heart aches with tears.
I love this section because it feels really modern. What is life's purpose? This is a female character being allowed a rich inner life of her own, uncommon at this time. I find the exploration of duty versus freedom really moving in this context. But these are my humble thoughts. What did the guys with the typewriters, i.e. the press, think? Clue? I think they were pretty into it. A new voice, which is likely to be heard far and wide among the English-speaking peoples. Michael Fields is just the kind of genius which an analytic mind would be apt to prove a priori that the present century hardly could produce. The kind of genius which we should ascribe to a world awakening from a long sleep rather than to a world... Whether or not Kaliraway is Mr. Michael Fields' first venture in public favour as a poet, it can be described as a work not only of remarkable promise, but of notable performance as well. Into the old story of the nymph We cannot read 20 lines anywhere without finding traces of a strong genius and a great dramatic imagination, profuse in its power, and failing where it does fail, rather from base and wealth and prodigality than from... What we have desired to show is not merely that in Michael Field we have a very considerable poet, but a very considerable poet who displays that special kind of freedom and rigour, now careless, now luxuriant, now startling us with a flash of lightning. But if it pleases Mr Field to know that in reading scores of attempts at it by novices in recent years, we have hardly ever come across one more successful than his own, he may take that reassurance. So that is a pretty incredible reception for a debut. Michael Field is born and Catherine and Edith are delighted. But why create Michael? What was this pseudonym for? Just to improve their chances with the press and audiences? To have a level playing field with other male writers? Or did it serve another purpose? I asked Professor Marion Thane about this. They were writing, in fact, in part... Um, to get away from the confines of gender, to get away from the confines of what a woman should be talking about, could be talking about. So there was definitely that in the mix, which is what we usually think of as you know, some of the more normal reasons um, for using a pseudonym. But what, what is interesting is they didn't stop using the pseudonym once it was discovered and everybody knew that they were actually two women writing under that one name and a name that seems to be in some sense a male name, although we can perhaps talk about that a little bit more. Um, so the fact they didn't stop using it at that point, I think, signals something really important. And the name Michael Field, in fact, comes from two nicknames. Michael was Catherine Bradley's nickname. Field was Edith Cooper's nickname, and it's two, their two names put together. So really, it's a signifier of their unified dual identity. And it's the identity they lived through, as well as the identity they wrote through. And that's really important. So their friends are calling them Michael and Field, and they're using that name Michael Field to signify their actual lived experience, not just something that they hide behind, it's something that you see them through rather than something that uh, um, hides their identity. 
The press attention had all kinds of admirers seeking Michael Field out to congratulate him on the success of Kaliraway, including the celebrated writer Robert Browning. He pressed the publishers of the play to give him an address and wrote Michael an ardent and flattering letter praising his talents and trying to tease more information out of this mysterious poet. It's like someone outing Banksy or Sia. Did, wasn't Sia always like hiding behind something? She was, yeah. Um, definitely. Maybe at the outing of Banksy is if Banksy were two people and one of them said, don't tell anyone, the other one went, <laughs> shh, don't tell anyone, but this is actually who we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's outrageous, though. But do you think that I, I was about to say I, I. that Edith... Yeah, she's you. She... Um, she really didn't see the repercussions. And this is one of the times where you do see that real difference in age. Big and time. Greenness. Big time. Uh, oh she's God, flattered, so isn't sad. she? She's flattered, isn't she? She's flattered. Like her, your hero's written to you and said, I think I really rate you, Michael. Tell me more about you. She's done like a happy spew of just all the information that you it's don't like, want to give. So my name is Edith and my auntie's name is Catherine <laughs> and she's 15 years older than me and we write the poems oh together. God. But please don't tell oh, anyone but don't tell this anyone. juicy gossip. And he was a huge gossip, no? Oh, totally. Oh. You can imagine. You're a singer. You know what the music scene's like. <sighs> Bit of gossip sp- spreads like that. God, it makes my heart, like I feel really anxious even just hearing and, and yeah. talking about this story. So anyway, bless her. She sent it with the best of intentions, but she also couldn't wait to tell him. I don't. Oh. I feel like that's in there as well, and I feel like that's also what Thomas put in musically. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but she does. But what I love about the music is that it also there is like a, a true kind of pang of seriousness. Yeah, she's like witness me, witness me. She is saying witness yeah. me, and she is saying, and she's very clear she says do not share this information so it's really well awful behavior i don't know i think if you tell people they're gonna tell other people they owe you nothing i don't know she may not think that yeah she's pretty naive no one else knew this like how how many of the rest of society were actually properly talking about them as being michael field or did people not know well people didn't people just saw had the publication with the name michael field on the the book. So even there, but their inner circle. Oh yeah, but I mean, I don't think the they weren't game. literary particularly. It was their friends knew, but in terms of the success of the publication, people saw you saw Clear Away by Michael Field. What would you think? Yeah, it was a dude. It's all, but, but that's such a betrayal. No, I'm defending Edith here. It is a total betrayal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think she did it with the best of intentions because she wanted, but she, Edith Cooper, wanted to be witnessed by Robert Browning. I think that's what is behind it. And truthful to an idol. Like if if someone gets in touch with you like that, you want to show them the respect of candor and being on par with them. And then it really backfired. Yeah, it did. And then, of course, you get (laughs) Catherine's. And your music is angry. (laughs) But it's your music. It's the same music, but. I was just saying, like, when I heard it the first time, I imagined her just, like, storming down a corridor, slamming doors. <laughs> yeah. Boom, 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 It's boom, like the really boom. dark glasses come on or it's just this. And I think part of it is protectiveness over not only Michael Field but also over Edith mm. for the mistake. So she doesn't get angry at Edith or maybe she did in person, but I don't think so. She directs it straight mm. at Robert Browning for the betrayal. It's fierce. You're... 
then your aura is fierce. Yeah, it's great. And I think you see that's the maternal instinct as well, which is a definite part of their dynamic. She's like, you have done the wrong thing. <laughs> Feel my wrath. Yeah, definitely. And then obviously it's great to take the kernel, the same music, and just extrapolate it to the two opposite ends. I just think it's such a cool... It's so lovely to be able to have that and to be able to hear that you get such kind of a vivid image of their two different worlds. Dear Miss Cooper, I was deceived by the Michael Field on the title page and only read the plays last evening. It is long since I have been so thoroughly impressed by indubitable poetic genius. A word I consider while I write only to repeat it, genius. Accept my true congratulations and believe me. Yours sincerely, Robert Browning. Dear Mr. Browning, I cannot thank you for the words you have written. words as yours give more abundant life to expend it in Mr. Browning, yours 
was with deep respect. Edith Cooper. Michael has been unmasked and Catherine is pretty upset. 
You can hear the contrast of the two letters and imagine what must have gone down in between times. With their cover blown, the tone of the press attention is already changed. You can hear the newspapers are calling them by the feminine pronoun. If this wasn't bad enough, they're writing together. This is totally at odds with the popular idea that great poetry comes from the solitary male genius. They are writing in unison, and that seems to undermine their quality in the eyes of the press. I rather think it was their superpower. Marion explains why. What, what I think is most fascinating with, with thinking about their, their dual authorship and, and the way that you can, in some of their works, you see them separate out into two quite distinct voices. And then through the identity of Michael Field, you see this, this collaboration, as you've rightly put, they're, they're editing each other's contributions. Everything is sort of worked over twice, pretty much, as far as we can tell. What's really fascinating from looking at the moments where they separate out is they do have very different poetic voices, actually. You can see that in those later volumes. But I think what's most successful is the combination of those two voices. So when I read Catherine Bradley's poetry and when I read Edith Cooper's poetry, I see two very distinct styles, but I don't feel that either is nearly as successful as the combined style. There's something about Catherine Bradley's earthiness, directness, and something about Edith Cooper's much more esoteric, mythological voice that, taken on their own, are not nearly so effective. It's somehow the combination of those styles that seems to me really powerful, where you get this combination of the direct, the immediate, the intense and essential, combined with the more esoteric, the more ethereal and the more mythological. So Catherine and Edith have united as Michael Field and had a hugely successful public debut, but already the mask has slipped. So what next for Michael? In episode three, Catherine and Edith will tentatively step out of the shadows and into the limelight, entering the London literary scene and rubbing shoulders with Oscar Wilde. Join us next time for Michael's Wild Adventures. Veritable Michael is a Shadow Opera production. Music composed by Tom Floyd. Words by Michael Field. Created and produced by Sophie Goldrick and Tom Floyd. Performances by Lizzie Holmes, Sophie Goldrick, James Long and Patrick Naiman. Thanks to our guest speakers, Professor Marion Thane, Dr. Anna Parejo Vadio and Dr. Sarah Parker. Veritable Michael is generously supported by the Ray Ford Williams Trust, the Stephen Oliver Award and the Countess of Munster Musical Trust as well as our incredible band of crowdfunders. For more information, video content, or just to tell us you're loving the pod, go to shadowopera.com slash veritable hyphen Michael or via our Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. <laughs>